0: This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfindley.org. In the process of uh, leading youth group sessions, Bible studies, and, and connect group studies, I, I find myself asking a lot of questions. Sometimes they're questions that are deep and meaningful and thought-provoking, Sometimes they're just questions, just goofy little things to get people talking. Let me, let me ask you a question. Let me frame this for you. So imagine, if you will, you're asleep at night, middle of the night, and you are awakened by the sound of a smoke alarm. You, you get out of bed, open the door, there's black smoke. All of your family is there together. All of your pets, every living thing in the house, you walk out of the house together to find the fire department already there. Your neighbor's called They saw the smoke. The fireman says to you, you have just enough time to go back inside and get one thing out of your house. It's safe. It's fine. I'll go with you to make sure you're all right. No fireman would ever say that. Just imagine if it happened. Let's go back in and get one thing. What would that one thing be? It's a tough one. I used to say I would grab all of the photo albums, those are memories that cannot be replaced. People who have passed, uh, so, so many things. Now, photos are all digital, they're saved and backed up. Who cares? Just print them again. So what would it be? Maybe, maybe you have a, an heirloom that was passed down to you that, that reminds you of a relationship with a loved one who's, who's no longer living. Maybe it's jewelry from a great, great somebody Maybe it's maybe it's some piece of furniture or or some some little thing a uh, a pocket watch with a knife. I have one of those little little uh, glass things with a pocket watch and a knife. I can't remember who it's from. It's sitting in our living room though. <laughs> um, but but what what would it be for you? What what thing would you value above all other things in your house? Maybe maybe for you it's the place where all your photos are stored. Maybe it's the phone or a tablet or a computer, and you realize. How that thing connects you with so much of the world, your job, your bank accounts, your medical records, your social life, everything is wrapped up in this piece of technology. You must have it. Have you realized how dependent we've become on these things? What what would that thing be for you? It's an important question to think about. As we we come to our passage today in in our series, remember we're talking about The conversationalist, Jesus, who who is connecting with people in the world around him, talking to them about their need for him, drawing them in. And he becomes an example to us of how we initiate conversations in the world around us, how we connect with other people, how how we turn conversations to spiritual things and draw people to him. We're learning about this process. And so we find Jesus today, Luke chapter 18, talking to a man, who is very much wrapped up in this thing that's so precious to him. He's going to have trouble with that. If you want to turn your Bibles with me, uh, Luke chapter 18, you can read along as we go. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you have a phone or tablet and you want to use the Version app, uh, open up the app, search under events for Parkview Finley, and you'll find scripture and sermon notes in the Version app to read along. Let's begin reading in verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now we'll stop there. I know we're just beginning the conversation, but look at the way it, th- this is beginning. A question is asked. And Jesus answered that question with a question. Have you, ever, have you been in a conversation like that where you're, you're really looking for an answer and instead of getting the information, it's a question, answering your question. And, and you find yourself talking more than you wanted to. I don't, I don't want to talk. I want to hear from you the answer. I find myself in those situations saying more than I expected to say. Uh, however, I've been on the other side of that. When people have, have asked me big questions. Uh, first, I kind of need to frame background, where you're coming from, perspective. And so sometimes I have to ask questions to, to gain an understanding of how to best answer that question. Sometimes I'm just stalling for time while I'm thinking of an answer. But, but questions help us in the process of, of discovery and connection and, and growing together through the journey of answering those questions. Notice that Jesus doesn't begin responding to that question, doesn't begin to address that question even. He's focused on one word, good, good. Why, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Only God is good. What Jesus is doing is redirecting his focus, pointing him to a different perspective to think about before they begin to answer that question. If, if, if this man approached Jesus hoping that flattery would get him an answer, hey, good teacher, can, can you help me understand this? Jesus, now, why do you call me good? Only God is good. But I think this is not necessarily what this man is thinking. It's just a title. Uh, but Jesus begins to place the, the, the dots, like a connect-the-dot picture. Jesus is placing the dots so that as this man connects them, he'll realize where Jesus is pointing, the picture of not only the fact that God is good, but to begin to understand that goodness of God expressed through Jesus Christ himself. You know, when we're looking for answers, the only way that we can find answers is when we ask questions. And we're looking for the right answers. We have to ask those questions before we can discover what they are. We find answers when we ask questions, but sometimes we're hesitant to ask. Sometimes it's hard for us to to just ask a question. Maybe, maybe we're afraid because we have an idea what the answer might be. And, and we know that if we ask the question, there's no longer any doubt. We have to deal with the answer. Maybe, maybe it's pride that keeps us from asking the, the big questions of, of opening up to another person and revealing that we don't know, revealing that we don't have the answer. And, and, and there's something in us that hesitates to to be vulnerable in that way to admit that we need we need help finding the answer we encounter people all the time who are who are searching for answers as well and when we do when we have conversations with people looking for answers we have to be willing to show them that they can ask those questions safely that that we're not going to ridicule them, we're not going to shut them down, but we're willing to listen. And not only we're willing to listen, but we're willing to walk through the process, the journey of coming to those answers together with them. And sometimes that means proving ourselves to them, proving that we're willing to listen and to talk and to have the patience to to go along with them through this. This young ruler is looking for the answers to big questions. How How do I inherit eternal life? That's a big question. A question that that many people wrestle with about eternity and what happens when we die. Now, Jesus reframed his perspective, pointing him to the right answer, dot, 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 only God is good. Now, think about what Jesus is subtly saying to him. You're calling me good, only God is good. God in the flesh, Jesus, Messiah, Savior, Lord. There's a, a purpose to his comments But until this young man is ready to accept the identity of Jesus, the answer to his questions is going to continually elude him. Notice that Jesus didn't say, I'm not good. Jesus said, only God is good. So we have this this very clear understanding of Jesus drawing this man into him. And, And this is a good place for this ruler to be. He's seeking more. He's looking for an answer. He's recognizing that there's a lack in his life. There's something missing. Maybe it's attention, something that makes him uneasy, something in the back of his mind that that when he thinks about the future, the, the certainty that he feels in other places isn't there. When he thinks about eternity, the confidence that, that is present in other areas of life, it's just not there. And so he's looking for an answer to that. And he came to Jesus to seek out the answer, to ask the questions that had been on his mind. Remember last week we talked about all the things that drive us to Jesus, the, the things that come up in our lives that, that motivate us to, to reach out. Sometimes it's, it's illness. Our health is, is broken. We look to Jesus for healing. Sometimes it's, it's uh, financial trouble. And when we get into great difficulty, we turn to the Lord for help and for hope. When a relationship breaks, and we don't know what to do. We are driven to, to reach out to the Lord. When there are, are crises in our lives and, and, and things are out of control, we have no idea how to rein them in, we turn to the Lord seeking help, seeking wholeness, seeking restoration reconciliation, and what we discover is that while there's some need that drove us to Jesus, what we really needed was Jesus himself, the presence of Jesus to fill us and complete us and make us whole is not entirely dissimilar to what's happening here as this man is searching for confidence about eternity, and Jesus is drawing him in to learn more about his need for Jesus Christ himself. And uh, Jesus continued the conversation. In verse 20, he actually starts to answer the question instead of just asking more. Here's what Jesus says. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. and You will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus Jesus got to the place where he started to answer the question about eternal life. And Jesus began to answer that question with, with the commandments. Now, if you recall, in the, ten, in the Old Testament, there's ten commandments that God handed to Moses on Mount Sinai. And when Jesus talks to other people about the commandments, he talks about the greatest commandment, to love of the Lord your God with all of who you are, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Here, Jesus listed five commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother. These five that have to do with relationship. How we treat other people. And this young man was able to say, Oh, those five, I've done those five. I've I've actually nailed those since I was a kid. No problem. I'm good. Jesus, in his perfect knowledge, presented these five commandments in particular. This young ruler was confident in his reply Since I was a boy, I've kept these commands. His faithfulness wasn't in question. He had been careful. He had been diligent. And yet even in the confidence of his own faithfulness, he's still wondering about eternity. Still not sure. We find this young man had other reason to be confident. He's very wealthy. Yet wealth hadn't provided any more certainty for him about eternity. And so Jesus began to point him to the idea that Maybe the the wealth itself was part of the problem. The confidence he had in all the things that he possessed that was actually keeping him from that confidence that he craved. You know, wealth can be very deceptive to us. As we work to earn money, we use that money to buy things, and we use those things to provide for ourselves and for our families, and we realize we need more, and we work for more, and earn more and we buy more things and we provide more and we get in the cycle of earning and buying and providing and earning and buying providing and we in the midst of that look up and think certainly there's more to life than this certainly our lives should have some greater significance than just perpetuating the cycle again and again and again and even in the midst of that we're reaching out looking for hope looking for confidence about What else there might be? Jesus pointed out, salvation isn't about being good enough, about being diligently faithful. It's about submitting wholeheartedly, surrendering and following after him. But for this young ruler, there was something standing in the way, something he was unwilling to leave behind in order to follow Jesus. Have you noticed how the things of this world can stand between us and the kingdom? The things that we value, the things that we care so much about, those those things that are so precious to us can sometimes be a barrier in our relationship with the Lord. can sometimes be a barrier keeping us from experiencing his kingdom here and now. Jesus broke into this man's life, broke through his pride, his confidence, pointing out that despite his obedience, he still had a long way to go in understanding what God desired from his life. And Jesus was caring for this man by leading him through this conversation, by leading him to this point of confrontation that he would, he would say to him that what you need to do, one thing you still lack, sell all that stuff, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Can you hear the, the anger in Jesus' words, the, the vindictiveness, the malicious tearing down of this young man, sell your stuff, give it to the poor. It's not there. Another gospel account of the same story says Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, sell all of your things. It's compassion that was driving Jesus to confront this young man with the thing that was keeping him from Jesus. It was love that motivated Jesus to say to him, you have to remove this from your life, your love for." Finances and wealth and possessions, your, your dependence upon them, the confidence you have in them has kept you from depending on God. It's going to keep you from following me wholeheartedly. You have to, you have to set them aside in order to be faithful. As we think about the conversations we have with people in our world, as we think about what it takes to, to draw them closer to the Lord, there are times when we're going to have to have difficult conversations. There, there are times where we're going to have to be prepared to walk carefully through this process with the people that we love. And we're gonna have to do it in a very loving way. And it has to be compassion for them that drives us to confront. It has to be our love for them that, that motivates us to want them to draw closer to the Lord, to want them to, to, to remove these things from their lives that are standing in the way, that, that are creating a barrier that they can't overcome. They need to help seeing that they're there. They need help making that decision so that they can turn to the Lord. See how difficult this decision was. See how difficult it is. Jesus said it it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's, It's impossible. How does that work? Finances, wealth, possessions have been... A difficulty. You look back throughout the history of Scripture and you can see that that people have struggled with the idea of wealth and faith throughout their relationship with God. In the Old Testament, we read about the people of Israel coming to a place where they believe that, that, that faith is equal to wealth. And they, they create this equation mentally that, that if they're faithful to God, then they'll be blessed by God. If they can be obedient, They will have a wonderful life full of peace and ease and things. And you look back through their story and you can see how they would come to that conclusion. As they were coming out of Egypt, God was bringing them into the promised land, a land of milk and honey, a land of plenty. And when they were faithful to God, they they were brought into that place and they experienced wonderful things. When they were disobedient, God allowed foreign peoples to conquer them, to oppress them, to drag them away from the promised land into slavery. In the burden of that, they would cry out to God, repent, turn back to him, and God would bring them back into that land and allow them to prosper again. And this mindset developed that wealth and faith go hand in hand. If we can just be more faithful and obedient, our lives would be full of wonderful things. We would prosper in ways we can't even imagine. Maybe you've heard that kind of teaching it's dangerous. It's difficult to overcome as we try and equate those things that don't really go. And yet we've not only accepted that mentality, we've changed the equation to an inequality, and we think that wealth is greater than faith. And we've lived our lives thinking about how wealth provides for our future, and we earn and save, and we purchase uh, retirement investment accounts, we, we purchase insurance, we store up savings for those days when we aren't going to work, so we'll have enough to cover all of the expenses, so we'll have enough to give to our kids as inheritance, and we think about the future, and our goal is to provide confidence for our future by saving enough and storing up enough so that we don't have to worry, so that we can be confident moving forward, and we've created this mentality driving us to focus our time and our energy and our emotion on the collection of wealth. Now don't don't misunderstand me. There is value in discipline. There's value in I was going to say a word and it's gone. What's the word Barry? Stewardship. That's the word. There's value in stewardship. I hate when that happens. Sometimes words just fall right out of my head. There's value in stewardship of, of, of being careful with funds and, and honoring God by, by not wasting what we have and, and caring for the things that he's blessed us with. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is loving things so much, of possessing wealth to a degree that we depend on that instead of turning to God, that we've allowed that to be the thing that provides us confidence for the future instead of leaning on the strength of God and allowing him to lead us and guide us. That's the danger that we step into in this inequality of believing that wealth is not just something that is equated to our faith, but something that becomes greater than our commitment to the Lord. What Jesus teaches us is that faith is greater than. That our devotion to the Lord should take precedence in our lives over and above all other things. And you think about the way Jesus talked about faith in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He used words to describe our attitude in the Beatitudes. And, And what did he say? You're blessed when you're poor in spirit. You're blessed when you hunger and thirst after righteousness. You're blessed when you mourn. You're blessed when you're you're meek. These are these are words that that, that don't talk about prosperity in terms of tangible things. They're, they're words that remind us that when we hurt, that when there's a need in our lives, that pain drives us to the Lord, and when we turn to Him, we're blessed in immeasurable ways with intangible kinds of things. things that can't be bought with wealth, confidence that doesn't come from an account. In fact, Jesus would go on in Matthew chapter 6 to say there's an even greater danger in in valuing your things so much because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when your greatest value is something, thing it can't be god and so jesus would talk about how important it is for us to store up treasures in in heaven these intangible things by by learning a different perspective in life and not being so concerned with things that moths can eat up and destroy that rust will devalue that that fire will turn to ash that thieves can break in and steal that floodwaters will wash away or destroy with mildew and mold, that a tornado or hurricane can flatten, but but instead to focus on the things of God. Instead to value our relationship with Him so much so that it becomes that, that thing that we value over and above all other things that we would turn to God and depend on Him for our confidence about eternity, not just the future here, but for eternity, that we would have a confidence in Him that would carry us through all of those difficulties that every pain that we experience would turn us to the Lord and that we wouldn't allow that wealth that we depend on to to buy things to numb our pain, to buy the things that would distract us from the hurt and not allow it to drive us to the Lord because we have those other things to turn to, to ease our lives and numb our pain. We we're talking about the, the difficulty of this young man setting aside his great wealth so that he could wholeheartedly, faithfully follow after Jesus. Maybe, maybe that resonates with you. Maybe you understand that, that difficulty very clearly. Maybe for you, this isn't about wealth, but there's still something that's between you and God, something that's a part of your life that you're turning to, for comfort, that you're turning to for confidence, that you're turning to to help cope with the difficulties you face in life. And that thing, even though you know that it's creating difficulty in your relationship with God, even though you know maybe it's wrong, even though you know that it's destroying you on the inside and affecting your relationships, even though you know you still are having trouble setting it aside, moving it out of the way, this thing so, so that it's not keeping you from, from the kingdom, from your relationship with the Lord. And, and maybe God is placing that thing in your heart and your mind right now, so that you'll understand the, the need you have for the Lord, that only He can fulfill. And then while that thing might make you feel better for a bit, it's not going to answer that, that emptiness. It's not going to fill you. It's not going to resolve the tension in your life. It's not going to answer any of your problems the way that he can. And so I wonder: when we think about following after Jesus wholeheartedly, we think about surrendering entirely to him. Why is it when we think about our relationship with Jesus that we mourn the loss of so many things? That, that we're filled with this sadness, like this young man. When we think about setting those things aside so that we can be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. There's sorrow over those things that we know we need to remove from our lives. We're going to miss them. We're going to, to feel their loss because we've come to pour our hearts into them, because we've treasured them so much that we, won't, we don't realize that our hearts belong to them as well. And it's a, a painful process removing them and being faithful. And so we come to this difficult question would your response be the same as this young man? If Jesus stood before you and said, I know you're thinking about eternity, and I have to tell you, if you want to follow me, you have to take this out of your life. Would you be able to say, yes, Lord? I can't do it on my own, I need you to do that. Or would you be so full of sadness at the thought of losing that, that you would say, sorry, I'm going to keep this, God. That's a tough question to answer. That's a difficult thing for us to overcome, but what we find is that God provides the strength for us to do those difficult things when we surrender our lives to Him. It, It was a hard thing for Jesus, it was a hard thing for his disciples around him to watch this conversation, to see this this ruler hang his head in sadness and walk away because he couldn't let go of his wealth. It created some questions. We turn to, to verse 26. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Now you think about how hard it would be to watch this, this scene unfold as those who were listening said, who then can be saved? Let's, let's rewind through the story a little bit. Let's go back to the beginning. This, this young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. Now, what we're dealing with here is is a, a description of salvation. We come to God wondering how I can accomplish this thing on my own. We realize all the things that are standing in the way of our relationship with Jesus. And we have to come to terms with the fact that Jesus is God in the flesh, Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And we have to leave those things behind. Accept Christ as Lord and Savior, repent of our sins, be baptized in his name, and and follow after him wholeheartedly, not letting anything else stand in the way. And this question, who can be saved, is answered in this statement. What is impossible with man is possible with God. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot do anything that makes us good enough for God. All we can do is surrender to him and allow him to work in us, to experience his grace and his love to step into the, the, the life that he's calling us to live without all these things that hinder us because we've given them to him. We've let go of them and allowed him to work. It's an incredible picture of what happens. That doesn't make it easy. And part of the difficulty we have is that we've grown so accustomed to our perspective of what's possible and what's not. We know our limits and our boundaries. We know our capacity in life. And we are are confronted all the time with our limitations. We, We get to a place in life where we live within our boundaries because we know what's possible and what isn't. And often we fail to see what God can do because we're so focused on what we can't. But when we put God first, we discover the possibility of what He can do. When we adjust our focus, when we allow him to change our perspective, we move those barriers and we put them in the hands of God so that he can take them out of the way. We remove the limits and the boundaries and we place them in the hands of God so that he can just destroy them and remove them. And we discover that what God does in our lives is so much greater than we could ever have imagined. What God will do in the lives of people around us, it goes beyond our imagination because it's full of his possibility, full of things that are impossible for us but they are easily attainable by God. And when we do that, we learn about the power of God that He displays in our lives. We learn about the power of God that He employs in the lives of the people around us. I want to talk to you about a person in your life. And I want you to think about one particular person that you know. Someone who has been resistant to hear about the love of God. Someone that doesn't want to talk about Jesus, doesn't want to talk about your faith or your religion, who's been absolutely unwilling to even have that conversation. Maybe when you see them, it's a relative, and you sit down to eat. Those, those Conversations quickly turn into confrontations and arguments. Maybe they have been angry and shouted you down. Maybe they have physically created distance and they refuse to even spend time with you because they don't want anything to do with God. And you're getting to the place where you feel like they're unreachable. I want you to think about that person. Maybe it's a grandparent maybe it's a parent maybe it's a brother or sister maybe maybe it's one of your children that that feel like they're out of reach maybe maybe it's somebody you work with that, that you you really want them to to come to know the lord they just don't want it maybe it's a friend you've known for a really really long time it's just it's not interesting I want to ask you to write their name down in your bulletin. Get get a pen. They're all in front of you. Everybody's got a pen available. Write write down their name. Maybe you're uncomfortable. Don't don't peek. Don't look at anybody else. This is private. Get the the little study carols down. Just jot it down. This is just for you. I want to ask you to write their name down and commit to pray for them. I'm not going to ask you to pray for them for six months. I'm not going to ask you to pray for them for a year. What I'm going to ask you to commit to do is to pray for them until the power of God shows you what's possible. Pray for them until the Spirit of God opens up their heart and creates an opening for you to have the conversation you've been waiting to have. Keep praying for them until that moment happens. The reason I'm not asking you to pray for a specific amount of time is because of that tendency we have to think about only what's possible. And we start to think, well, if they don't respond in six months, they're unreachable. If I'm praying for them for a year and they still aren't interested in God, I'm just gonna write them off. Have you ever, have you ever had those thoughts about people that you care about? Eh, I've tried, done my duty, fulfilled my responsibility. What I want to ask you to do is to love them enough that you would be unwilling to see them suffer for eternity. That you would love them enough that you would care about their eternal soul. That you would love them enough to pray for them until you see God's power at work in their lives. That you would let God use you for something greater than yourself that you would discover what's possible when you surrender them to the Lord and you lovingly stay committed to them in prayer. You stay in their lives and continue to demonstrate the love of Jesus to them every day until you see the possible happening through the power of God at work in them. Can you commit yourself to that? Would you commit to that? Let me pray for you. God, I'm so glad that you are all powerful and that you love us so much. God, I wanna, I wanna place in your hands a huge list of people. They're coworkers and neighbors and family and friends. They're people that I don't even know, but my family here has written them down. God, I I wanna I want to ask for your help with this because it's so much bigger than we are but it's not too big for you. God, I want to I pray that your spirit would work in the lives of these people, that your power would, would be made known to them and made known to us. God, that you would show us what you can do, that you would help us understand that the limits of what we thought were possible are, are just a construct of our own mind. Lord, I want to pray for patience and, and persistence perseverance that you would help us to remain faithful to our commitments that we would that we would be praying for these people and we would we would be your love and grace in in their lives so that they would come to open their hearts to you god i pray that your spirit would do that and that we would see it and know that it's you that we wouldn't wouldn't even be amazed we would just have nothing left to do but praise you and thank you god would you please It's in the name of Jesus we ask. Amen.